Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Before we start today's podcast, Holly and I just wanted to say... Happy, Happy holidays, holidays. <laughs> to everyone who is celebrating. And yeah, let's let's go ahead and get into the podcast now. Okay. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I'm here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle. And today's topic is how to turn what you love into what you write. Yeah, this one I'm very excited for. Uh, but, but before we do get into today's topic, we're going to talk a little bit about what we did last week. Well, this week. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so Holly, you start us off. Um, I have dedicated myself to focusing small. And um, this is one of the things that I'm going to be working on next year as well, uh, where I am, I am setting a low bar and then hitting the low bar and running past it if I can. Uh, so the biggest thing for me in the past week was getting back to revising Dead Man's Party. Um, Because uh, there have been a couple of weeks of just chaos and I have been uh, tied up with moving all of the email stuff from one provider over to the new provider. And that's just a massive task and getting ready for Christmas and getting ready for Thanksgiving and holiday stuff. And a lot of stuff got pushed aside. So this week... Dead Man's Party was first on my everyday list, and um, I'm looking over what I got now, and had, um, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, I got seven hours of revision on Dead Man's Party in, on Monday through Thursday. That's awesome. That's really awesome. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember the last few weeks you've been focusing on other stuff and and not your fiction. And yeah, that's a good way to show everybody that um, anybody can lose the sight of getting their fiction in first or getting it mm-hmm. in whenever you do, letting other things take control. It's just a constant struggle. So you <laughs> you always have to try to keep mindful. It is. And I think part of the reason it's a constant struggle is because... At the way I do it, it doesn't feel like work. And so it's very hard to justify if I know I've got seven email sequences that have to be moved from one provider to the other and all of this stuff done. It seems like that ought to go first. But if it goes first, then the writing doesn't get done. Yeah. So that's um, that's the thing where a lot of people will tell you eat the frog. And that's a that's just. Yeah, it's, it's it. Not everybody's heard it, but basically, it's it's whatever is on your to do list that is the thing that you least want to do. Get that done first, um, and that this shows that that's not always the case. 
Mm-mm. because if you do something that you love for a living, then eating the frog first doesn't fit all the time. Um, some people, for some people, sitting down, button chair, and writing would be the frog because uh, they're still having that block quote unquote, or, yeah, um, well, the struggle. Yeah. They're still yeah. going through the struggle or they're, they're, you know, they haven't done their 10 minute timer s- stuff yet. And that they keep putting it off. So it, it varies on where you are as a, as a writer, but sometimes when you get to that point, you love it so much that it's no longer the frog. So I've always kind of, <laughs> kind of felt iffy about that saying and putting the frog first because it's not always the thing you need to do first. Right. Yeah, for me, the thing that that is most important to me is the fiction. So the fiction just happens to be the most fun I have all day. Yeah, it's it's, Uh, that's more like eat the dessert first. (laughs) Yes, yes, dessert first. Life is short. Um, So... That was my, that was a lot of my week. Now, I still got uh, almost all of the email sequences done. Um, I did a bunch of stuff in, in, with, on the forum and putting together the stuff that we're going to do today and then the stuff that we're going to do next week. And um, I just, I just got a ton of stuff, but I got my fiction first and I got seven hours of fiction in four writing days. And I'm really, really, really happy about that. (laughs) Yeah, as you should be. Um, my week was uh, also kind of hectic, but I did manage to get into lesson 13 of how to revise your novel, which is conflict tracking. And that took me a while to understand the lesson. Now, for folks in the future who aren't listening to this right now, uh, lesson 13 will be revised. Holly's doing different things to it. So my demo is based on the the original version. And mm-hmm. it's hard to understand. It was hard to understand for me. So when you hit lesson 13 and you're a future student, then it might be super easy to understand. I don't know. I'm not there yet. <laughs> but I finally kind of figured it out. And then I, I messaged you and you kind of confirmed um, that y- you are using this as a way to create the story that it should be create the Mm -hmm. conflict that it should be and I started filling out the forms and it just really hit me like this is where I get to put in the scenes that are the new candy bar scenes that are the new scenes that I really want this is where I find little ways of putting conflict into other scenes and keeping it organized keeping it to the point where when I start to do the write-in I have all of these notes. I have all of these things that remind me what goes into this particular scene, what the purpose of this scene is. And it's just incredible that I can go through this again (laughs) and be finding things that are, it's not new, I guess, to me because I've been through it before, but because leaving Wanda Lucia was so... um, format-based, and The House on Andrews Ave, I've written with the How to Write a Novel course, so it's so crazy and loose, and it was just this thing that I was pantsing, sort of, the pre-plotting, yeah. but a lot of it was also pre-plotting in a pantsing kind of way. Mm-hmm. Um, I am finding that 
there is so much more to this class than I've even gotten from the past, which is crazy. Everybody knows, <laughs> probably so many people are tired of hearing about it, but everybody knows it's my favorite one of your classes. And it's still teaching me new things. It's still, even, even if I did do some of these things in the past, there's a different layer of depth to this because this is an entire series, an entire world that I want to write in for the rest of my life. So there's, yeah, we talked about that a little bit while we were talking during the week. Yeah. 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 So this is, it's just diving in to this revision is more joyful. I think especially I'm glad that I got the, the first how to revise your novel thing done on a book that didn't matter as much to me mm -hmm. because I can enjoy the process more now knowing that all of the faults that I find are another thing that I can improve because it's better that you find them. You oh, know yeah. what to look for. You find them. You're like, aha, little bitch, I'm going to cut you out. I'm going <laughs> to fix you. It's just better that way. And I, I'm going through the conflicts right now, lesson 13. And once I understood it, it really clicked in my head and it's been a joy to do. It's been an absolute blast and a joy. And like I said in the forums, my muse is coming up with so much cool shit that it's actually yeah. hard for me to, to maintain like, okay, well, just write it down. You'll get back to it instead of just wanting to leap right into the write-in. Because I still have, yeah. what, three or four weeks before I do, well, three or four lessons before I do the write-in. Um Oh, so you're, the, but you're so close. Yeah, I'm so close, especially after um, everything. And I've, I'm going through a lot of um, struggle right now, mentally, emotionally, and having this kind of joy really balances things out. And it gives me something that I can bury myself in and know that I'm also finding a lot of progress and making a lot of progress and getting deeper and deeper into this world that I love so much. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, so let's go ahead and get into the topic. This is how to turn what you love into what you write. Yes. And you should, <laughs> it, it is so easy to look at um, all of the things that are selling and to listen to all of the people who say, oh, you're such a good writer, you should write this kind of book, or you <laughs> should write this kind of story, or this stuff selling really well, why don't you write that? And, and it's easy to listen to that, and it's easy to try it. Mm -hmm. The problem is that if it isn't what you love, it is a path to mediocre work, to frustration, to... Um, turning something that is a, this wonderful thing into a, a source of misery rather than a source of joy. S but, but it's kind of hard sometimes to see how you can turn what you love into what you write. Mm -hmm. But everything you write should be something you love. So this week, this is just, just kind of a, a, a quick little thing. Um, we are going to bounce back and forth and show you how to do that. Yeah, and this is completely off the cuff. There are no worksheets. There's no, no. there's really nothing that, um, the, the show notes are really light this week. So we're yeah. just going to kind of have a lot of fun in um, bringing up certain things that we love and talking about how to turn them into what we write. And I, I know that um, 
that it can be hard because I kind of, I stuck with romance and erotica much longer than, and I didn't realize this until I started working on the Fulton Hills book. I stuck with it much longer than I loved it. I really did. And that's another thing is if you've been writing a certain genre and you're comfortable in it and it's, it's your go-to and it's what you think that you are certain is, um, what you're going to write. Hell, I even started planning books in the Fulton Hill series a year and, well, what was it? Two or three years ago. It was before we started this podcast. I wanted to get into it and I started planning them as romances. And I didn't know why I wasn't thrilled with that. So right. even as a writer with a lot of time and experience in writing, you can still fall into that pitfall of writing stuff that you don't absolutely love. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's definitely not just for beginners. Right. So there, there are five little steps we've got for you. And we're going to just go through them live, bouncing shit back and forth as we do this. But I am going to tell you now, the first step is list what you love. And that, that is broad. Yeah. Okay. That is, that is, that is dig into all of the crap from the time you were a kid to right now. And every goofy thing you have ever traipsed through and fallen in love with and every silly ass thing that made you happy and write that down. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I mean, uh, just just off the top of my head, Ghostbusters movie, um, Haunted Houses, uh, raunchy sex scenes, um, cookies, cats, there was a beautiful little frog cartoon that I read for years, Spot the Frog, and I actually contact, talked to the author of it, and and um, was I was a huge fan of it. So just these little frogs, and and this life they lived, just okay. So those are just things off the top of my head that I love. And now Becky's going to do just some weird shit off the top of her head. Um, Unsolved Mysteries is is a big one from my childhood. Um, ghosts in general. Like, I like, obviously, haunted houses and shit. But the idea of ghosts, I've always been really obsessed with. Cryptids like Bigfoot, like Mothman. I've always just been fascinated by the ocean and the unknown and the animals in the ocean. I was... A lot of people don't know this, but I was actually looking into being a marine biologist when I was a teenager, and I used to watch uh, Discovery Channel all the time, and, and this is back when the internet wasn't like it is today, so there was a, a moderate amount of information on the internet that I could find about marine biology, but it wasn't so in-depth like now. Plus, I had we had dial-up, which is the only kind of internet that existed <laughs> back then. Yes. And I had an hour's worth of internet time because uh, after that, mom needed it. Plus, we couldn't tie up the phones. Right. And Plus, it was expensive. Yes. So. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I love the just just thinking about different things. I love interior design. I love the um, thinking of a very specific thing right now. I but I I love drawing and art. And I love studying history. Like, I think that there's just this huge mixture in all of our heads of all of the little things that excite us. 
And yeah. it could be something as little as a uh, type of yarn to as mm-hmm. big as cryptids. Like just that, that just, <laughs> it feels like a niche, but it's not because you say cryptids and that encompasses everything that, that if people think cryptids are just Bigfoot. Oh, hasn't been proven to existed. Loch Ness <laughs> almost basically proven to not exist, which I disagree with, <laughs> but there's also <laughs> the cryptids that have actually been proven to exist right cryptids you know that have become once once they have been found they are no longer cryptids so right but they're yeah these 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 ancient ancient fishes yeah that were thought to have been extinct for millions of years Mm -hmm. and then somebody hauls one up yeah yeah or it's a cryptid yeah exactly that that is just a cryptid that was proven to be real so i say (laughs) any of you that's a decrypted yeah, decrypted. I say any of you Bigfoot na- na- naysayers, uh, y- your time is coming, sirs and ma'ams. <laughs> but there's just all sorts of things I love. I love textures. I'm really, really obsessed with certain textures. I, I-, I love the idea. Like I said, interior design. I change the layout of rooms all the time. Like mom and Matt were always making fun of me because my room would always change. And <laughs> it- it's all of these little things are are what give you happiness, joy, motivation, excitement. You're looking mm-hmm. for the things that make your hair stand on end. Um, that, but not in a bad way. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you're making, you're looking for things that shoot this thrill through you. If you, yeah. if you love flowers and gardening, that that's, that's, you know, if, if that gives you joy, if you can't wait till you get your day off or, or you get home at night to check on your little plant guys, Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I love plants. I've I've never had luck with plants until the last few years, and it's it's all succulents, pretty much. <laughs> but I'm keeping them alive. Yeah, that's this is you hit on something really important there. Um, it's it's got to be the stuff you love is stuff that you have dug into. It's not just surface stuff. It's because if you love it, you know it. And Becky yeah. knows a lot about cryptids. Um, I know a lot about languages. I know a lot about various parts of history that really grabbed me. Um, I know a lot about castles and castle design. I know um, a lot about raunchy sex scenes. I know a lot about... Um, what go ahead no i was just gonna say well yeah and then that's the thing is that you might be interested in one small thing and then you start reading about it or even writing about it focusing on it and then as you read that starts to expand because mm-hmm. bigfoot is not just bigfoot <laughs> there's the skunk the skunk ape sasquatch yeti so it starts to expand and grow bigger and bigger and then you start to look because it excites you, you start to look for the things that are slightly related. So maybe you're looking for other humanoid figures, other hominids, other uh, other things that are in that same area, and you just start to grow and grow. So what you're really what you're really obsessed with at that point might just be um, something as simple as undiscovered things, right? You know, or unproven right. things, or mysteries, or hidden other worlds and when you realize that the love of the things grows and you can find things interest 
you know, like Atlantis, if, it, if it's undiscovered or unproven or there's this conspiracy behind it, Atlantis would also work. Yeah. There, there are so many beautiful ways that you can explore what you love. So what we're kind of getting at here is that you can, you can find things that you already love. It does not hurt to also explore new areas. Look at things you think you might love and mm-hmm. dig into those. Um, I, I am currently uh, digging into some additional background material for my, my deep space world, for the Cadence Drake novels. Um, I am looking at some alternatives to, uh, this is kind of a spoiler, um, I have a, a genetically engineered vampire group in uh, the first few books, but they have ceased to be a problem by the end of book three for the most part, and I am looking at ways to genetically engineer other shit that can be really cool um, in the next few Cadence Drake novels. And uh, I'm also, I found out who Katie's third father is. And um, that was a shocker. And <laughs> but how is this, like, like what, what are you diving into that is expanding what you love? What I am diving into is other kinds of science fiction, looking for things that other people have done with big universe, expanded science, um, I, mine is mine is basically science fantasy, mm-hmm. uh, where I am using all of these these scientifically built paranormal thingies, because I really I love the paranormal, um, and I am just looking at how other people have done similar things to that to see if I can bring in what I've got at the end of book three, and um, it, it make it a little richer and a little deeper. Yeah. Yeah. And and that again is stuff I love. I love science. Yeah, um, and th- there's another thing too is um the things that you don't love can very easily become things that you do love depending on the avenue that you go down uh for the th- the thing that you're looking into now. So if if you're not crazy about vampires per se, but you love cryptids Mm -hmm. then the more you study the past of cryptids the more you study those things it it can open up this entirely different kind of of thought process and you'll start seeing other ways that people have done other mythologies have you know like different ways other people have thought of the vampire or vampire and (laughs) you kind of because this is something that i'm doing right now i've I hate the the overly done stuff, or I don't hate it. I just, I'm tired of certain things. Um, I'm tired of the way certain things are portrayed. I guess I'm just looking for something new. And the thing is, if you're looking for something new, find a way to create it using right. what you love. So what you're tired of or what you don't particularly care for can become part of what you loved just by your own research, just by, it, it, it just... It continues to expand, and this love of learning and your willingness to learn the things that you love and the way that 
they keep opening up all these little tendrils. It's like all of the veins and or nerve endings in our bodies. Yes. They just keep going and they branch off into all of these other things that you can start to learn about things that you were previously not interested in that suddenly become part of that love and obsession. Yeah, exactly. This stuff becomes addictive and in a really, really good way. Yeah. Where, where one love leads to another love needs to a third love, mm -hmm. lets you build these more interesting, more complex stories um, let you dig deeper into worlds, let you make things feel more real to your readers. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's go to the next step of this, which is once you have identified, you've listed the things you love, next you list the reasons that you love it. And for me, um, I'm going to look at paranormal because, I, I, well, okay, science plus paranormal. Because that's a thing that you just that just has a really hard road to hoe, a row to hoe. Because um, if if you are bringing in science, then it tends to debunk paranormal. If you are using paranormal, it has to fight science. So with with my Cadence Drake universe, um, I built them both together. I created paranormal that uses science, um, and so that the paranormal works. It has a lot of the same tropes, but it is science based. And I, because I love both of those things, I love being able to specifically detail, this is how something works. I love to be able to show that in the story. This, these are, I, I, I'm not, I'm not crazy about leaving things to the imagination, leaving, leaving things with loose ends. I like to have everything neatly tied down. So when I built my, my vampires, I built scientifically plausible vampires, people who developed this genetically engineered process for giving themselves practically immorta practical immortality, um, practical invulnerability, and they did it with a, a scientific process. And it, they gave themselves these, these almost superpowers and there was a little bit of math that they failed to do, and this is where the science comes in, is that if, if you are doing this little bit of math, you discover that immortals um, who feed on a mortal food source are, and who accidentally turn a portion of their mortal food source into themselves or actually, not. It was not accidental. It was intentional. It was they were built so that they could make slaves. They could they could create vampires who were subservient to them, but who had all the same powers they did. And if you do this, there there is a little math problem that led to the second book. And um, the the solution to the math problem led to the third book. But it's paranormal plus science. And the reason that I love it is because you can do stuff like that. Because you can say, okay, well, if I take this bit of magic, turn it into science, explain how the science works, and then follow it to its logical conclusions, I can make some really bad shit happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so funny how very alike we are. And I'd say accidentally, but it's not accident. It's, it's <laughs> you know, very easily scientifically proven, you know, it's, it's the genetic thing. There's, oh, yeah. um, 
there's a lot of you in me because when I was a kid, I was fascinated with marine biology. I was fascinated with biology in general. I remember, mm -hmm. I don't remember what the program was that you bought, but it was this program that shows you um, biology. It teaches you biology in this really fun way. And I still have the notebooks upon notebooks of notes that I took on it. Um, cool. So I, I love the idea of the earth and how uh, crystals form and how um, you know, obsidian forms and how the earth works. I also love mythology and I also love ghosts and the idea of magic being this, um, I don't remember where I heard it. I think it was Hill House. I think it was the very first episode of The Haunting of Hill House. The guy said, I don't like supernatural. I like the term preternatural because that just means it's science we don't understand yet or it's things that we don't understand yet. And I think that, that is how I'm taking my urban fantasy paranormal books, which is the Fulton Hill world, because everything that I have going on is, is science-based. The mm -hmm. reader might never know how it works. The, the characters in the book, um, the, the, Nahoto Atsara, which is the Noho tribe that is uh, a kingdom of Native Americans or indigenous people, however, you know, your particular tribe prefers to be referred to, they prefer Noho or Nahoto Atsara, Nahoto Atsara, <laughs> but they are, um, they have their own mythology based around the same thing that the Fulton Hills people are looking at. And within Fulton Hills, you have your witches that look at the same thing a different way. You have the scientists that look at things a different way. You have the Fultonites, which are basically kind of like a, a, a very, very back to older times, cultish kind of section of Fulton Hills. And mm -hmm. they look at things the diff a different way too. So you've got all of the, you've got one, one set of occurrences, one thing that everybody looks a different way. And this is where I realized that it finally hit me in a very personal way. What you used to say is you, you get to be the God of everything that you're creating is that I have the answer. <laughs> I know yeah. how all of this stuff works and everybody else thinks that they have the answer and know how everything works. But I love the challenge of figuring out how something works and then interpreting it through the lens of different cultures. Yes. It's, it's one of the coolest things that I've done in finally allowing myself to work in this Fulton Hills world. They all look at the same event through the lens of their beliefs mm -hmm. and how that event occurs is different to all of them. What that event means is different to all of them. And they all, all of the people in this area that use magic have different magic systems. And the magic works. It might not always work the same way because they're doing different things. But the magic does work. And they don't actually know why it works. They just think they do. That's because you have an underlying science built in there. Exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, because exactly. that's, that's what I loved growing up studying. Once I got out of public school and once I was able to actually learn things instead of memorizing boring facts, it was... Um, it was really amazing how much I dived into history and science. The two things that public school, at least in my public school experience, did not excite the kids in the class for the most part. You know, you had to have a natural yeah. love for this stuff to be able to dive deep into it. And I just, I, I did, but it wasn't, it was buried. And what was, what, like, read out the number two again. Okay, number two is list the reasons that you love it. Yeah, so I guess we're just listing the things that we love again, but it's it's anything that I can figure out how things work. And I, I didn't realize that this is me, again, being uh, very much your daughter, is <laughs> like I taught myself how to draw because I, I would watch hours upon hours of videos of how to do it. I taught myself how to crochet. I taught myself how to knit by watching other people. And... I'm teaching myself how the world actually works in our world and then twisting it into something else in Fulton Hills. And, and that is one of the reasons why I love the paranormal and, and things that might exist offer so much possibility in our world of fiction. It, I think that the scariest movies leave a lot to your imagination. They don't show the monster in the suit. They don't they don't show a lot of detail in certain things. It's the same thing with the books that you read. Leaving a lot to the imagination means that that person can fill in what is scary to them. And I like the idea of knowing how certain things work and then kind of filling it in in a different way so that it's and that's part of what I love about cryptids is is the ones that aren't proven they can be whatever you want them to be in your head in your fiction mm -hmm. right and you can get some really good stuff out of that okay so then now we're going to go to step three which is figure out ways unexpected if possible to connect your various loves. Okay, and we have already talked about this a little bit. Well, yeah, I taking... mean, it's kind of this circular thing. It's hard not to. Yeah, but it, it's it's just you're, you're looking at things as diverse as knitting and frogs and um, cryptids and paranormal and science and history and all of these crazy little patchwork pieces that make you the person you are whoever you are and whatever you love and you're going to say okay how do i combine frogs with cryptids well or, that one's too easy <laughs> how do i combine frogs with history uh, then you build something like a frog god um back in history where a statue is found where you uh bring in this uh expert and the expert is trying to understand how this frog god got in this place where no frog god has ever been. And all of a sudden you got a story. Because, and it's going to be a story you're going to have fun writing because it's, it's this stuff you love. So, yeah. um, Fulton Hills is basically the combined 
everything that I love, except for extraterrestrials. Again, I had to set limitations on myself. <laughs> but Fulton Hills is the my 19-year-old's version of being obsessed with serial killers, cults, magic, the way that the earth worked, history, starting to really get deep in, deeper into history. Um, and it it's, you know, covens and the alternate lifestyles that maybe the Amish people have or Mennonites and the, the whole um, secret society. Fulton Hills is me combining every bit of that into one world and I finally get to write it, but that's, that's me combining everything and, and yeah. the idea of how they intertwine and how they run into each other and how little bits and pieces are going to start popping up in different things. And you won't know until seven books later or maybe even a different series when that particular thing that has been mentioned before pops up and it's got its own book or its own series. It's, it's my sandbox that I created. That's taking just the smallest thing. So let's just say that you're fascinated by cults and cryptids. Find a way to combine the two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I have, while you were saying that, I, I realized that I have a really nice example of this that is not all of the examples that I have already used. Um, my secret text trilogy, uh, and Vincalis the Agitator. Uh, so Diplomacy of Wolves, Vengeance of Dragons, Courage of Falcons, and Vincalis the Agitator were based on the following things. They were based on uh, me living in Central America when I was 14 and 15, in, in Costa Rica and in Guatemala, um, on the cultures there and the languages there, uh, and not just the, not just Spanish, but the various Indian tribes and cultures and things that were there. Um, it was based on uh, European history. It was based on um, my absolute frustration with with fantasy novels that were based around castles and Europe. It was so. It was the. It was sort of the anti-Europe trilogy in that it was all of these things that Europe wasn't. Um, it was. It was grungy and. But it. I, I went into. Uh, a lot of the realities of what I saw living in Central America. Um, and I brought a lot of that in, but I put it into a a completely different kind of semi-European culture, but in Central America. In another world, with magic, uh, because magic is very important, with werewolves. And... Uh, shape changers and a history of some horrific event that had destroyed everything about a thousand years before and this one mythical guy uh named vincalis the agitator the agitator and i eventually wrote the fourth book in the series which was a prequel which was a thousand years before when you get to meet vincalis the agitator and you see everything before everything went boom so it was so the the it has a post-apocalyptic thing going on in it. Um, it's got shape changing. It's got uh, fallout from some horrific event. It's got just all of this stuff. And, and all of that was stuff I loved. And none of it is stuff that you just rationally put together. Yeah. It's 
you it's you just have to get kind of creative and figure out how to shoehorn all of these crazy pieces into one thing and when you do you have your story yeah that's that's it just to make a quick note when holly said she was frustrated with all the fantasy novels set in like this this england or or you know european feel it with the castles it's not that she didn't like them it's just that that's how a lot of them are set that's right yeah Right. And you read, I wanted something different. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because seriously, I, I mean, God, I adore Europe. I loved the, the castle period. I, I, I threw myself into European history when I was a kid and as a young adult and as an older adult. And my goal in life still is to go to England and go through all the castles and stuff. I still want to do that someday. And it just hasn't happened. But but there is another whole world out there of a zillion other things and you can have high fantasy set in other places and I wanted to do that yeah and I knew another world and had lived there and so I used that world yeah and that's also that's also a cool way for you to to find ways to to kind of mix it up in your own writing if you love the desert but you also love elves, which tend to live in the forest, then you run into something like ElfQuest, which is they have the desert elves and they have the forest elves. And cool. Yeah, and that's something that is a neat concept because where else have you really heard about desert elves? You know, it's just, it's very cool. So um, what is number four? Okay, number four is... Once you have your connected loves and you have found out a way to, to create unexpected and strange connections between things that don't seem like they go together, then you figure out ways to get your connected loves into trouble. So this is Becky has, has been talking about how she's been getting her connected loves into trouble for a while now. I have. <laughs> Yes, in in previous things you've been you've been talking a little bit about some of of the characters in uh, Fulton Hills and some of the problems that you're throwing at them, and oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the next thing you do for me. I'm I'm just going to use the diplomacy of wolf thing, wolves thing. Um, I put Central America and high fantasy and big magic and. Um, a sort of semi-feudal culture into one book. And the way I got them into trouble was I set off a magic bomb a thousand years earlier. And it had horrific repercussions. And it caused my main character to be a shape changer. And this is something that is an executable offense in the world. And she is highborn. She is a highborn shape changer. The shape changing is involuntary. It is not something that they can control. They can feel it coming, so if they are fortunate, they can get out of sight in time to not get caught. But uh, the penalty for being discovered as a shape, shape changer is to be taken into the city square and pulled apart alive by, five, four, by four horses running in different directions. Which, again, um, is part of Holly's love of history and, uh, you know, the macabre. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, that was that was a, a historical 
form of execution. Mm-hmm. Um, not in Central America, but it was. <laughs> and it's, it's just a case of mixing a lot of different things that I love together and getting something and, and, then, and then making something really bad that the character has to deal with from even before the story starts. She has, she has an oh-my-God problem, and she is just lucky that she was highborn and her relatives could cover for her um, and keep her out of sight when the shit was going on until now. And so that's the second thing is, okay, so what happens when her, her relatives can't cover for her anymore? And that's when the story starts. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's awesome. So it's, it's, yeah. it's all about mixing, matching, and then causing problems, right, ra- ra- um, raking, wreaking havoc. Wreaking havoc. That's the one. I tell you, apparently I didn't have enough coffee this morning. <laughs> but yeah, that's, so it's, it's, I, I love the, the way that your brain will work if you are asking the muse these, these questions of, well, how can I make it worse? How can I, so you're creating like this, this cryptid. Well, what limitations can I put on it? How can I make it more vulnerable and more dangerous? How can I change things up a little? And that's what I have been working on in the times when I'm not working on my revision. Again, as I'm going through this revision, I keep coming up with these things that my muse wants to play with and I have to tell it not now, but we'll, we'll write that down so we don't forget. (laughs) And it is coming up with all of these different twists on mythology, um, which I, I kind of, I like the idea of having all of these kind of Easter eggs in the book that will maybe lead to a full, um, chicken so I guess they're not boiled Easter eggs <laughs> they will lead to a full chicken in its own its own stories its own books and yeah. that's the effect of limiting yourself and your work to very very specific things allowed in the world and mm-hmm. then also enjoying the the game of okay well how can I how can I twist this how can right. I because originally I told myself no vampires in Fulton Hills. <laughs> so my muse is automatically fighting that. Even though I'm not, I, I used to be big into vampires uh, when I was younger. Um, but it, it just kind of played itself out. I'm still stuck with zombies, still obsessed with zombies. But the thing with Fulton Hills is I'm not allowing myself to go post-apocalyptic. I'm not allowing myself zombies in the in the traditional sense or in trying to stay away from zombies period because that's going to be a completely other different world that I'm going to write in so I also said you know no no vampires but my brain my muses is revolting pretty hard over that one so I'm trying to find ways to kind of fit stay within the limitation Mm -hmm. but create this thing that is the that has a noho name that could very easily be described as a vampire and that's another one of those ways to create trouble 
Yeah. Where, where you are taking the essentials of something that you didn't want mm-hmm. and filtering out just the parts of it that you do want and changing that into your own thing mm-hmm. and then making that a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's it, a lot of times if you have a muse that you have been feeding on a regular basis, which is why Holly and I push that 10 minute timer thing, oh, especially yeah. if you are somebody who is finding it difficult to make time for your writing. Um, just start with 10 minutes a day. The more you feed your muse, the more it will find ideas from anywhere, anytime, any little random thing you see. I went to Walmart yesterday to pick up an order that I had and I got an idea just from sitting in the parking lot, seeing two particular things happen. And I've gotten ideas from the textures of shirts before. Like nice. It is it is literally when people ask where you get your ideas, any any writer who has has been doing it consistently will have the same answer which is frustrating for maybe people who want to write or for people who don't understand how the right brain works, but it's everywhere. From yeah. everything in life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's I was I was standing in the shower. Um, yesterday morning before I did my writing and I was just trying to, to, to hurry because the bathroom is cold because that bathroom is not heated and it was 17 degrees outside and the house was still a little cold and that bathroom was freezing and all of a sudden I had this kind of click in the back of my head uh, about Dead Man's Party and about the very the this girl that I introduce in the second version of the story in my revision who was not in the first version and I realized that she had not been in the first scene and she had to be and suddenly I knew how she had to be there and it was because I was cold in the shower. See? <laughs> yes. See? I mean, it was, it's, it's ridiculous. It's, it's it is ridiculous. everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yes. But it's just, if you are paying... Wow. If you are paying attention, if you are just noticing weird little shit, like the cat staring out the window, watching the leaves spiraling, and in the back of your brain you said, he's not looking at the leaves, he's looking at the invisible thing that's moving the leaves, Um, which is what happened to me the other day. And I thought, oh my God, I could do something. And then I said, shut up, just shut up, shut up, because we don't need any more stories right now. Yeah, I just write all those ideas down in, uh, in like a little pad that I have or mm-hmm. um, on my Fulton Hills world book and I just leave it there because maybe I want that later. But yeah, so is there is there a number five? There is a number five. Number five is once you have found all of your ways that things can can connect unexpectedly and after you have figured out ways to get your characters into trouble, then you solve for story. You you figure out then what could be the coolest thing that could happen with this, what could be the worst thing that could happen this, figure out a number of different endings, and then just start writing. 10-minute timer, get your stuff out there, um, take chances, do, do, do stupid shit. You know, take try try things that are a little crazy. Try, try things that are outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. But but take what you have come up with and then use it. 
Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really, really awesome. So um, I think we do have a takeaway for this, right? We do have a takeaway here. Okay, so I'm just going to go ahead and mention, you know, as, as always, you guys can follow us on the socials at AIA. RWIP on Twitter, at Alone with Invisible People on Instagram, Alone in a Room with Invisible People on Facebook, and you can find our website at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. If you'd like to support the podcast, we have several different options. Just go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to see all of the different ways. But you can, you know, we have like a coffee account, which is ko-fi.com forward slash alone. And of course, join us in the forums come in there talk to us tell us what you got out of the episodes that you've listened to find that episode thread so it's a little bit easier for us but also tell us if you had further questions about an episode we did an episode a couple weeks ago about um how to turn how to work on story length and it was flash short story and novel and while we covered one section there was still some some questions left as to what makes this meaty enough for a story but not for a novel or meaty enough for a novel but not for that flash fiction you want to write so we're going to cover that again in 2020 but we're, we're going to be able to go a little bit more into depth about what you're looking for to create different story lengths because there was still that question left so we do listen to the questions we we definitely want to help you guys figure things out and that's that's what we're here for that's that's what the podcast is here for too it's for us being able to talk about this thing that we love and are so obsessed with when it comes to writing and stuff so if you want to reach out again the best place is the forums at hollyswritingclasses.com and you do get that free how to write flash fiction that doesn't suck course and you get the free summer fiction course but again that forum or those forums because there's a lot of free forums in there is a great way to connect with other writers and to not just get advice but also give advice you know not everybody's on the same level we we have beginning writers intermediate writers published writers that listen to this so and that are also in the forums so we've yeah. got all sorts of folks at all sorts of levels doing amazing things we do we do and and i love our people yeah i, I just yeah. so what is the takeaway for today okay so here's the takeaway if you intentionally Spend your life surrounded by what you love. You can find joy in your life every day. So this is why you find what you love. You figure out what you love. You put all the crazy pieces together and you write that. Because if you do that, then every day of your life is going to be full of joy. Well, I am going to say just, you know, have a great week. We hope that this has really giving you some ideas of how to put what you love into what you write and again come into the forums let us know if if you found a way to put something that you love in to to something that you're writing and i you know we love you guys and i will see you guys next week holly yes yes just just have a wonderful writing experience and find your joy so let's do the happy holidays thing. Before we start this 